morning. Good to see you here today. If you do have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open up to the book of Jonah. Uh, If you are a guest for the first time with us or you're just new to the church in general, we're glad that you're here. We really are. And if you're not familiar where the book of Jonah is, even people that have been in church a long time, um, it's hard to find. And so it's actually the end of the Old Testament. So there's these minor prophets, and they're not minor because they didn't make the major leagues. They're minor just because they're shorter. And so go to the part of the the Bible when you open it up, it looks like Star Wars names, and go through there and you'll see Habakkuk and uh, Hosea and things like that, and then you'll see Jonah right around there. So look for the Star Wars names and you'll find it. If not, just go to the front, look at the table of contents and make your way to Jonah. And as you guys are making your way there, if you are a a partner with us in ministry and mission at West Caveras Church, just want to give you a quick update on our summer giving challenge. And it's a good update, I'm glad uh, to say this, but you'll see the... Uh, chart on the screen here. We are uh, two-thirds of the way done with our summer giving challenge. And so if you are new here and you're like, what was that all about? We just have a lot of outreach events to serve our community as well as missionaries that we're supporting around the world. And so we did this reach giving challenge. We wanted to reach deep so we could help the gospel go far. And you have been extremely generous and faithful uh, to give. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, We're a little bit ahead of where we need to be for this, not much, but a little bit ahead. And so over the next few weeks between now and Labor Day, uh, we're going to finish off this Reach Giving Challenge, and I believe that we can absolutely make that $63,000 or so that we need left. And so thank you for your generosity to give, and thank you for those that really took this to heart and made that first step of faith to give. Um, Because it's been amazing to see, we have 34 either individuals or families who have taken that step of faith for the very first time to give to the ministry and the mission of West Cabarrus Church. And so I just want to say thank you to those new people that have stepped up to give. And so thank you for taking that faith step and trusting the Lord in that. And thank you to all that have been just consistent in your giving to help us get to where we are. Because this is really, um, a, a, we've never been this place before in the summertime to be able to meet our budget and be able to extend uh, serving some of our missionaries in some incredible ways. Even last Sunday you heard how we support Christian Adoption Services, and many of you stepped up to serve there, uh, and then one of you stepped up to say we want to go the adoption route uh, through Christian Adoption Services. So thank you for that. I'm excited for what God has done and what he'll continue to do through us as we're faithful to him. So let me just pray for us, and then we'll dive into Jonah today. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your generosity that, Lord, leads us to be gracious and generous people. Lord, without your grace, and without your generosity, we would be um, in a, without hope in a hopeless world. And so thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your mercy to give us the book of Jonah. God, that you came to Jonah, you, you called him, you confronted him, um, you, you showed us through this book the immense failures of his life. And I'm thankful for that because at the same time, You showed us your great grace because, Lord, we are so much like Jonah, so prone to run from you, to wander away from you. And so, Lord, I ask and I pray that today you would help us to turn towards you, to experience your grace, to find refreshment in you and your forgiveness. Lord, I pray for the person, even in this room today, that thinks there's no way that God can restore me. Father, I pray that the book of Jonah and the truths that you have for us in it would refresh hearts. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. 
All right, so the book of Jonah, if you grew up, not even in church, but just in America, if you grew up in America, you're familiar with Jonah in some form or fashion. All right, you know that there's this man and there's this fish or whale or whatever it is that swallows him up. Like, that's kind of what we know about Jonah. And, and we turn this story into like a kid story and like a little cartoon, but this is a, this is a heavy story. And we're going to walk through this whole book over the next several weeks, but I mean, this book is not really a kid's book. I mean, this, this is a book about idolatry and racism and rebellion. Um, what we find out about the nation they're sharing the gospel with is a wicked, wicked nation. And so this is not a kid's story. This is actually a really, really heavy story. But if you are new to, to Jonah, or if you're just one of those people that loves outlines, let me give you an outline for the whole book. So if you can understand this one sentence, or remember this one sentence, you will have a greater grasp on the book of Jonah than maybe than you ever had. And the statement is this. The book of Jonah is all about a relentless God, so a relentless God pursuing a reckless people through a reluctant missionary. A relentless God pursuing a reckless people through a reluctant missionary. And that is the whole book of Jonah in one sentence. So that's what we're going to unpack in the next several weeks. And I have to say this up front before we even start reading, that Jonah's a real person. And the city of Nineveh is a real city that in history God called Jonah to go to and to preach to. So because it's got some miracles that happen in this story, a lot of times we read it and we're like, well, this is allegory or this is just a parable. Like Jonah's just this made-up person. Like, no, this is a real person in a real place and a real moment of history. And if you actually read the book of 2 Kings, you find that Jonah's ministry was bigger than just this book. Like, Jonah actually did some good things uh, besides running from God like we're going to see today. So you can read about Jonah, his, his story, his ministry. He was a real person. And Jesus in the New Testament actually talks about Jonah as a real person as well. And so Jesus talks about it. The rest of the Old Testament talks about it. This is a real person at a real period of time. And God chose, in his sovereignty and in his love, he chose to put this moment in history in the pages of Scripture for us to open it up and to read it. And I believe it's because he wants to show us two huge things. Two huge things in this book of Jonah that actually is the theme of the entire Bible. If you can understand this part, you'll understand how all the rest of the Bible works. I think the two points that we're going to see in the book of Jonah today are literally what our whole universe orbits around. It's what it's all about. All creation points to these two things. So let's look at Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, so sit tight. 17 verses, not too long, but we're going to read through this moment in history and see what God's word says to us today. Starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea and lightened it for him. But Jonah 
Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. What we're going to see here is something very beautiful. They're wanting Jonah to call to God so that God might think about them. And what we're going to find is God was thinking about them all along. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea will quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. But he said to them, Pick me up hurl me in to the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, The sea ceased from its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so what are the two truths that we, the two realities of our world that we have to grasp from this passage? What are the two truths that all the Bible hinges on and all of creation and the universe hinge on, what are the two truths? And the first is this, that every one of us in this room and through time all have the tendency to run from God. And that's what the Bible calls sin. Have you ever wondered, like, what is sin? Like, what is that all about? It's our tendency to run away from God, to not be obedient to Him, to rebel against Him. It's the first reality we've got to understand But the second reality is this, there's good news, that our God is a loving God, and though we are prone to run from him, he is prone to pursue us in his grace and his love. And that picture of God's goodness to pursue us is what the Bible calls grace or mercy. So I want us to unpack those two because that helps us. Like I said, this is what all the Bible's about, our running from God and God faithfully pursuing us to rescue us. So first, we are all prone to run from God. God comes to Jonah and tells him what he wants him to do. It's clear his day. Jonah's not foggy about what you're asking me to do. He's not saying I need to go and pray more. I've got to talk to friends to figure out what it is that I've got to do. No, he he knows. God comes to him and he says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, when it calls it that great city, there was a, a few reasons why Nineveh was a great city. Historians would tell you the size of Nineveh was huge. I mean, it would take you days to walk across the city. So it wasn't like I just came in and I'll just like pop in for a bit and then I'll head out. Like, 
you would spend days walking from one side of the city to the other because it was so big. So it was great in size, but it was also great in stature because it was the capital city of Syria at that time. And Assyria was one of the world powers at that moment. It would be like us talking about Washington, D.C. Like that's our capital for our nation. He's wanting them to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel to the capital of the world power at that day. But that's not what God's word says that they were ultimately known for with their greatness. If you look at verse 2, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it. Why? Because of their evil has come up against me. The reason why it was a great city is ultimately because of their great sin. I mean, I could tell you what historians have written, and it's, it's gruesome. I mean, these are our gruesome people. Like, they would come in and invade a city, and they would murder your family, and then make you carry them around the city in a parade to celebrate their victory. They would torture people, and then right before they died, they would shake their hand. I mean, some of the things that they did, it's just, it's sad. It's terrible what they did. And God is saying, I want you to go to those wicked, evil people, and I want you to tell them that judgment is coming unless they repent, unless they are asking for forgiveness of their sin. I mean, what God is calling Jonah to do is not like a, a mission trip to Jamaica. It's not like, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Jamaica and tell those people about Jesus. No, he wants them to go to the worst of worst places. For those of you who know who Corey Timboon is, it'd be like, more like that story. Hey, I know you were in a concentration camp in Germany and you, you got out, but now I want you to go back and tell those people who tortured you about Jesus. That's what God is telling Jonah to do in this moment. And Jonah looks at this and he's like, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Where Jonah's heart is bent to run from God's call, God's heart is really clearly seen in this call to Jonah. In verse 2, when it says God sees their evil, it's come up before him. At least for me, I would read that and be like, good, okay, God sees their evil. He's going to bring judgment and pain and all, and all suffering, all this stuff down on these people. But that's not God's first response. God will judge that which is evil, but his first response is patience. God is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to have life. So it says here, I've seen their evil, I've heard their evil, it's come up before me. Jonah, my response is I want you to go to the city. And I want you to go to tell them about my love and my forgiveness and my grace that they can have if they'll turn and they'll repent their sins. That is God's default response in this moment. And we'll see later, Jonah knows that God is a good and gracious God that will save people. And so he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want these people to be saved. And so he's going to run away from God. And it's interesting here because there's a lot of wordplay in the, in the book of Jonah. That's kind of the humor. There's a lot of humor in the book of Jonah, especially in the original language that's written in in Hebrew. But God comes to him in verse 2 and says, this is my call. I want you to arise, like rise up and go to Nineveh. But then Jonah's response, verse 3, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Like he's like, you want me to get up and go? I'm going to get up and go this way. And he turns and goes the total opposite direction. And what's funny about this is 
God is calling him to do something that would be much easier if he would just be obedient to it. His rebellion is much harder than just his obedience. When God tells him to go to Nineveh, you can see on this map here, that's about 500 miles north of where he is. 550, something like that. So it's, it's a good ways, but he could travel and get there. And Jonah's like, nope, I don't want to go that way. I'm going to get on a ship, and I'm going to go 250,000 miles, or 2,500 miles, the opposite direction. 2,500 miles. It's five times the distance. Like, just do the math here. Five times the distance to get there. Jonah's like, no, I want a one-way ticket, and I want to go all the way over to Spain. I want to get as far away from what God has told me to do. Like, this isn't an accident. It wasn't like he went down and he's like, oh, is this a ship going to Nineveh? Cool, I want to get on this one. Oh, I got on the wrong one. I went to the one in Tarshish. No, no, no. He didn't even need to get on a boat to get to Nineveh. He knows what God has asked him to do, and he's like, I don't want anything to do with that. I want to run from God. Man, have you ever noticed? It is way harder to run from God than just to be obedient to him. Jonah does five times the amount of work just to run from God. And some of y'all know this. You've experienced this. It's really hard to continue to sin. You have to have multiple phones, multiple lives, multiple social media accounts. It just wears you out. You're doing all this work to be a rebellious person instead of just being obedient to God. Not only is it hard work for us to be obe- or disobedient to God, it costs us something to be disobedient to God. When we run from God, it, it costs us something. Jonah here in this text, for him to be disobedient from God, it says in verse 3, so he went and he paid a fare to get on that ship. It literally cost him money. Later when he's finally obedient, God will ship him across the water for free, right? With the fish. But right here, he's going to pay money. It's going to cost him something. It costs us something when we run from God. One of the things it does cost us, not only financially, though it can, but it costs us emotionally. The words that are used over and over again in this passage highlight that he is on a spiral in his life. The word down is used over and over and over again in this text to highlight Jonah is not moving up to a better place. He's continuing to spiral, spiral down and down and down. And all the commentators say that this is exactly what it's highlighting, that Jonah is losing everything. He's spiraling down into a depression and despair. He's falling further and further away from God calling. I mean, did you notice that in there? God tells him to go up, but he goes down to Joppa. He goes down in the boat, and then he goes down into the innermost part of the boat, and then he lays down to sleep. His life is spiraling down and down and down. So not only is it costing him financially, not only is it hurting him physically, it's impacting others. I have talked to a number of people who are like, man, I can do this sin. It's behind closed doors. Nobody knows about it. It's not, it's not hurting anybody. We need to realize that our sin, as private as we may think it is, it splashes on and has a ripple effect to everybody else. Jonah's sin in this moment impacts these sailors. His sin, as he flees from God, now they're in the middle of the storm. And there might have been other ships in the area that are being hit by this storm. Literally, his rebellion, 
Jonah's running away from God has impacted other people. And it's the same for you and me. Our sins will impact friends and family members. It just will. That's what sin does. It's not just a one and done. It's an echo effect. So even in this moment right here, that's what we're seeing. His sin is costly. It's, it's impacting his life. It's impacting others' lives. And, and before we get too self-righteous to say, Jonah, you dummy. Like, you're just such a dummy. Like, you heard God speak, and then you ran from him. How often have we read God's word, and then we're like, mm, I don't know if I want to do that. We are just as guilty as Jonah. God tells us to forgive, and we're like, mm, I don't really know if I want to forgive. I'd rather hold on to resentment. And I feel in a much better place playing the victim. God tells us to remain sexually pure, and you're like, oh, God, I don't know. Like, I don't know if we should go down that path. Maybe there's other ways. Like, I'll give you other things, but just not this area of my life. And that's a huge area of your life. You see, we can look at Jonah and point and say, Man, I can't believe Jonah did that. But you and I do the same thing. There are Jewish synagogues even today that will get together once a year and they will read the book of Jonah. And when they finish reading it, they will say, as a congregation, I am Jonah. I'm Jonah. It's because we all run. We all run from God. We're all guilty of it. Back in the 1970s, um, there was a performing arts center, the Kennedy Center. It was being built in Washington, D.C. And as they launched it, they found over the first couple years of it being built that they were hemorrhaging, the gift shop there was hemorrhaging about $150,000 a year. $150,000. A gift shop. I didn't even know gift shops took that much money in. But they, they were kind of figuring out, why, why are we hemorrhaging this much money? And so they decided, we're going to hire a detective. And you guys are going to think I'm making this up, but his name was Detective Loveless. It's a real name, real dude, true story. To come in and be a detective to figure out where $150,000 was going. So he goes in there, and his first thought is, okay, we probably need to just analyze all the people, and, and, and I say where they are, and hit every demographic, some were retirees, some were young college students, like different uh, ethnicities, like they hit the gamut across the, the board. So they're like, okay, well, what, where do we start? We need to look at everybody, where do we start? And they decided we're going to start with the guy that takes the money from the gift shop to the bank. Like, that's the guy that's probably stealing the money, right? So they mark the bills, they get marked bills, and they put it in there, and he goes to drop off the money in the bank. And after he drops the money off in the bank, he's coming back out. And literally, I guess they're behind bushes. They bust out and they tackle him and they search his pockets. And they found some of those marked bills. They found the money. But it was $60. That's what they found. $60, which I'm not great at math, but that still leaves $149,940 uh, unaccounted for, right? And so they're sitting there thinking, okay, where did the rest of that money go? So they set up different structure, different uh, organizations within their gift shop to figure out, man, what's going on? Where's this money going? And as they let it play out for a little while, you know what they found? You know who they found was stealing the money? Everybody. Everybody. They found that some of the elderly patrons that were volunteering there we're coming into the gift shop and being like, man, I really like this band that's playing tonight. And I like that t-shirt. And they would just take the t-shirt. They found that the, the young people needed cab fare to get home. And so they were stealing just a couple bucks 
out here and there, and they were getting home. And so literally, as they, they did all this research, detective work, and they found that every single person was taking from it. Everybody was guilty. Everybody was doing it. That is just a small reflection of our world as a whole. We're all guilty. We're all running from God. We're all stealing things. We are. The question that you and I have to ask ourselves is how are we doing it? How do we run from God? You have to ask yourself that question. This is true from the beginning of the, of the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God and they run. Why? Because they wanted to be God. They wanted to be in charge. That was their sin, the sin of pride that they wanted to sit on the throne. There was sin there. What, how are you running from God? You have to think about that. You have to have that self-knowledge or you will continually run from God to despair that's costly. You'll continue to do it. Jonah did it. We can look at this passage, it's easy to see what Jonah did to run from God. He literally ran from God. God said, I want you to go up, and he's like, I'm going to use my feet, and I'm going to walk the other way. I'm going to walk completely away from what you're calling me to do. Now listen to me this morning. It's easy to see how Jonah ran from God, because he literally did it. But our heart will take us further from God than our feet ever will. Our hearts will take us further from God than our feet ever will. That's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He said to the people, he's like, some of y'all think that you're not even sinning, you're not even running from God because you look at a woman with lust, but you're not physically with her. So you think you're, you're, you're innocent. And he's like, no, 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 your heart has already taken you far away from God. Far away from God. He said, some of you think, I would never murder anybody. But you look at somebody in your life and you're just like, I don't like them. I don't like them. I wish they were dead. Jesus like, in your heart, you've already committed murder. See, our heart will pull us further and further away from God than our feet ever will. So how do you do it? How do you run from God? The Apostle Paul, who wrote large chunks of the New Testament, he said, I know how I run from God. He put it in the scriptures. He published it for all of us to read. He said, I, I was reading the law, and I'm like, I'm not a liar. I'm not committing an adultery. I'm crushing this. I'm a generous person. Like, I'm crushing all of these things. And then he got to coveting, and he's like, ooh. But that one, yeah, like, I, I covet a lot. And coveting is not just saying, man, I want a lot of stuff. That's part of it. But coveting means you look at other people, and you just resent what they have. It's not just that you have it. You just don't want them to have it. And you covet, and Paul said, that's how I run from God. That's my tendency. That's how I'm bent. Isaiah, who was one of the other major prophets here, he sees God and is face-to-face -face with God, and he says, I know how I run from God. His first experience with God, he doesn't say, wow. He's like, whoa, I'm a sinner. I run away from God. And how does he do it? He says, with my mouth. You're like, wait a second. Isaiah, aren't you supposed to be a prophet? Like, you're a preacher. Like, how are you sinning with your mouth? He's like, man, I use my words. I don't know how he did it. It doesn't tell specifically, but he uses our words maybe to cut down other people. He uses his words to build himself up instead of to praise the Lord. He looked at his words and he's like, I've used my words and I'm a sinner. I've run from God. 
Augustine, who was a great theologian in North Africa. Still, we read his books today, and um, it's been hundreds of years. Some think that he's the greatest theological mind since the Apostle Paul. And Augustine knew he ran from God through lust. He wrote in his biography that every town he went to, he had a different mistress that he would stop and talk to. He's like, my heart has a tendency to run to sin and lust. What is it for you? How do you run from God? You have to know that your heart is bent that way. You have the tendency to do that. So how are you doing it? And the sad thing about it is, there will always be a ship going to Tarshish to lead you to run from the Lord. Always. That's the sad thing about it. And that's what we find here for Jonah. God could have made a ship not be there and Jonah not be able to go. We're in a fallen, broken world, and that shift's there, and it's the same for us. There will always be that website for you to click on. There will. There will always be someone who hurts you that you can hold on to resentment instead of to forgive them. There's always a ship leading to Tarshish. There's always going to be a way for you to run and to flee from the presence of God. But what you have to know and understand is what is that ship for you? What is it that draws you to run away from God instead of to run to him? And let me just say to those that are Christians, that have been Christian for a long time, some of you are thinking, this is a great message for everybody else but me. Because I don't run from God. I just don't do that. And I just want to caution you. Don't underestimate your capacity to sin. Please, I beg you, please do not underestimate your capacity to sin. Think about Jonah. Jonah was a man of God, right? He was a prophet. He went and he would speak to other religious leaders and tell them, this is how you should do ministry. He spoke to the king and would tell them, these are areas that you need to repent from. Jonah knew the scriptures. He would have memorized parts of the Bible. He would have known this. And yet he, knowing all of this and having the reputation that he had, still ran from God. So nobody in this room should say, I'm beyond this. I am far better than any of this. No, do not underestimate your capacity to sin. We all sin and run away from God. And please do not underestimate the power of sin to lead you to destinations that you never dreamed you'd go. Do not underestimate your ability to be able to sin, and do not underestimate sin's power to drag you off to darker places than you ever thought you'd go. Some of you are experiencing that right now. You're like, how did I get here? How in the world did I get here? It's because your heart led you farther than your feet would ever take you. So let me ask you this. Knowing that we run from God, knowing that Jonah was running from God. I mean, if you were God, what would you do? I mean, what would you do to Jonah? You came to him, and you're like, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. And Jonah's like, nope, going this way. What would you do? I know what I would do. If I were God, I'd be like, Jonah, you're out. Amos, you're up. Come on. You're starting now. Come on, Jonah. I, Amos, I'm going to get you to go to Nineveh. It's not what he does. And what's great about this is this is showing us how God interacts with us as well when we run from him. This is how God interacts with us, just like he did for Jonah. You see, it's really easy to run from God, but it is impossible to outrun God. It's impossible. So God in his grace pursues Jonah. 
He knows he's running. He knows there's sin there. And instead of just moving on, he pursues him. And God has not given up on you either. He's continuing to pursue you. You've been running for years. And God's like, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on you. And that's the second major reality we need to see is that God is gracious to pursue us even when we run. Even when we run. What we're seeing here in Jonah 1 is God's grace and God's mercy. Some of us read this and we're like, what are you talking about? This is God's wrath. This is not God's wrath in this moment. I contend with you that it's not. Because if it was God's wrath on Jonah for his disobedience, then God would have just killed Jonah. Just be done with him, right? You disobeyed, boom, dead, move on. But God in his grace brings this storm into Jonah's life in order that Jonah would repent and turn and follow him. You see, if you want to see God's wrath, God's wrath is seen on earth when a man would sell away in rebellion and God gives him smooth seas and a good wind. That's God's wrath. The reformer Martin Luther said that the greatest anger that we can ever experience from God is when God is no longer angry. He gets the idea from Romans 1, where people are continuing to sin, all of us, and to the point where they're loving their sin so much, they're just like, God's like, fine, go. I've tried to bring you back. I've tried to bring storms in your life to to stir you, to come back, to face me, and you continue to run. And so God just no longer angry with him in that moment. That's God's wrath. What we're seeing right here is God's grace and his mercy. You see, I love my kids, and so I discipline them when they do things that are wrong. Not because I'm angry or wrathful at them, but because I love them. They're my kids. I don't discipline my neighbor's kids, right? Like, I don't, I don't know them. <laughs> but I do mine because I love them. And God is doing the same in our lives. God brings this storm into his life and into our lives, and it's not meant to pay us back It's meant to bring us back. And God does it with intentionality. Verse 4 says that God hurled this great wind. There's a lot of intentionality like that. I mean, you can picture that like a pitcher throwing a ball, like hurling it with intention. It doesn't say God allowed a storm. It doesn't say that God used the storm that was in place. Like, no, God built this with intentionality and threw it, hurled it right at Jonah to wake him up wake him up. And this isn't just any storm. This is an amazing storm that hits them in this moment. It says the boat threatens to shake up. An an unanimate object is crying out like, I'm going to break up. I just can't do this. Like, it's going to, it's going to crack, right? That's how it's describing it in this moment. These mariners, which are not baseball players, but sailors, they're afraid in this moment. They're, they're, they're scared. And when the professionals get scared, like, you know, it's a big deal. Like, it's a big storm when the professionals get scared. I remember a while back, I was flying back to Charlotte. I was out in Kansas, and, uh, and there was a major storm you could see on the horizon. And I'm like, well, we better take off quick so we can get ahead of that storm. So we, we take off, and um, all the stewardesses are there, and they're working, and they're doing their job, and they're coming down the aisles, and they're serving peanuts and uh, drinks and all that kind of stuff to, to people. And all of a sudden, we start to hit turbulence. And I'm like, oh my, I'm like, grab my seat. I'm like, oh my goodness, like, this is pretty bad. But it doesn't flinch. They don't flinch. They just keep walking down. They're handing out the peanuts and everything like that. And then finally, the turbulence starts to pick up, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, it's getting bad. We're going through the storm. But still, they're calm. I'm like, it's not, it's not a big deal. They do this all the time. They do this for a living, right? 
But then finally, it starts to get really bad, and the captain comes on the speaker, and I can't even remember exactly what he said, but all I remember is next, all these people, all these stewards are running down to find seats, and they're jumping in them to buckle in, and I'm like, oh my goodness, if it's bad for them, like, it is really bad then, because they've seen the worst of the worst, and that's this moment right here. Like, you know it's bad, because these people are afraid. They're scared in this moment. God is bringing this storm to bring back Jonah, but... We'll see something really cool in this too, also to bring these sailors to trust in him. You, said, you see, like I said when I was reading this, they're saying, Jonah, wake up and cry out to your God so maybe he'll give a thought to us. But God has already been thinking about these people. He's stirring in their heart. So ultimately where they will trust and believe in him. See, God can take something that's so wicked as Jonah's rebellion and turn it for something good that these men would trust and believe in the Lord. You see, their fear of this storm is where it starts. Three times in this passage, it says that they were exceedingly afraid. And it's like this progression that happens because God is working through this storm to bring about redemption and rescue. First, they're worried about the storm. They fear, they're, they're anxious. Oh my goodness, there's this storm going on. What in the world? But then it moves from that where they talk to Jonah and Jonah's like, yeah, uh, I worship the God who created all this. The storm that created the seas, that created the dry land, that created everything. And they're like, what? And they're exceedingly afraid because of Jonah's sin. They're like, how in the world are you going to run from that kind of God? He created it all. He sees it all. They get it. And so they're afraid of Jonah's sin. But that's not where they stop. Later at the end in verse 16, it says, The men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered right sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see, some of you have stopped in one of these steps. Some of you are, you look at the storm in your life and the brokenness of this world, and instead of it looking to God, you continue to run from God. And God has allowed that storm in your life for you to look to him and to bow before him. And some of you have taken that second step where you're like, well, I see my sin, I see my running away from God, but you still don't repent of that sin. You don't get to this third part where the men feared the Lord and they offer sacrifices and they praise him. Because he saved them. I would just encourage you, no matter wherever you are on those steps, to take that step of trusting in the Lord. Being a living sacrifice for him. That's what God is calling us to do. You see, these people at this time did not know. They didn't see that this was God's rescue plan. They were, they were fearful. They were anxious in this moment. But God is a gracious God. This isn't God's wrath. This is God's grace. This past week, I'm in the other room in our house, and I hear my wife screaming at the top of her lungs. And I start to, you know, make my way to get there quick, and, and I hear my kids screaming. And when I get closer, I hear them screaming, frog, frog, there's a frog in the house. And, uh, and so I, I walk in there, and what had happened was my, my wife thought it was one of the kids' toys. And so she bent down to pick up this kid's toy, and the frog jumped on her. So it freaks her out and freaked the frog out. And so he jumps away, and our kids are screaming, and I'm like, this frog's probably deaf now. And so I have a sense of, of pity for this frog in this moment. I look at him, and I'm like, oh, man, like he's trapped inside the house. He needs to be freed. And so in my, my, my graciousness, I'm like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down. I'm going to pick up this frog with my hands, and I'm going to walk outside, and I'm going to put him, I'm going to free him, and I'm going to put him back in the wild. I'm going to rescue him. The frog's going to slowly hop away with a little tear going down his face, saying, that giant was so kind to me. He rescued me. I must tell all the other frogs of this giant's grace in my life. Like, that's how I pictured it. 
that's not what happened. I went up to pick up this frog, and I went to go grab him, and he freaks out. He doesn't know I'm trying to rescue him in this moment. He's like, wait, what's going on? What's happening? And so he jumps on me and jumps here and jumps on our trash can, and he's jumping all over the place. So finally, I look at the kids. I'm like, hey, go get one of your nets. So you get one of these nets, and, and I, I put the net over it, and then I slide a little card underneath it, which was my wife's idea. It was genius. Uh, slide it underneath there, and then I could carry the frog outside, and I put it out in the grass. And that frog's a hot mess. I mean, he had messed all over himself. Like, he's breathing really hard. He's like, what happened in this moment? You see, that was my grace to rescue him in that moment. My wrath, I would have just killed him. I just would have killed him. Just be like, done, done with this frog. But that's what God's doing in this book of Jonah. God is rescuing these people. He's pursuing them. And some people don't know how to handle that. They're like, what is happening? God is trying to wake you up. He's trying to help you see your sin and your running that you would turn back to him. You see, sometimes God in his mercy will send a storm not to hurt you, but to help you. Romans chapter 2 says this, that it is God's kindness. It's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not God's anger or his harshness, but his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Is there judgment for our sin? Absolutely. We see that in Christ and how he took it on for us. But it's because of God's grace and his mercy, we can be saved. We can be saved. That's what God desires to do for you and for me. Now, one of the things that's amazing to me in, in Jonah chapter 1 is that the person you would think should be obedient to God is the very one that you find rebelling against God. And some of you right now, God is stirring in your heart, and you have a choice to choose to rebel or repent. But what we find is the text that people that you wouldn't think would repent are the ones who are repenting. You've got these, these pagans in this moment who don't know the Lord, who the Lord is until Jonah tells them. And it's interesting because I've, I've, as I've read this, I've wondered, like, why couldn't Jonah just, like, walk the plank and just fall into the ocean? Like, why does Jonah say, hey, God said that you have to throw me into the water? Like, why? Like, why couldn't Jonah just say, all right, guys, I'll make the decision for you. I'll just jump off into the water. And I think what God is doing is through Jonah's rebellion, he's doing his rescue plan. And God tells Jonah, hey, tell these guys they want to be obedient to me. And the first thing they have to do is throw you overboard. And they don't want to do it. They're like, we'll just row harder to get to dry land. And they can't. It's like them having a rowing contest with God. Not going to happen. They're not going to win. They could have the Olympic rowers in there, and they're still not going to win. Because God is stronger. And so finally they get to the point, they're like, okay, God, we've been fighting with you for a while now. We're going to be obedient to what you said through your prophet. We're going to be obedient to what you said, and we're going to throw him in. But please have mercy on us. We don't understand all that we're doing, but have mercy on us in this moment. And so they throw him in. They're obedient. But also, this fish is obedient. Verse 17. Not only are the pagans obedient, the fish is obedient. While Jonah's were running away. Now, we can get into all the details of this if you want to. Like, was it a fish or was it a whale? Like, they didn't have the zoological terms that we have today. It was a big animal that swallowed up Jonah. That's what we know for sure. And if you're like, man, there's no way that that's possible. This has actually happened in history a number of times. Actually, just a couple months ago in June. Uh, there was a man up at Cape Cod. They got swallowed by a humpback whale, if you saw this, while he was picking up lobster. Just, it, this is just recent, like a couple months ago. 
And there's other stories of this happening, but regardless of whether we can understand or agree with all the scientific side of things, our God is a God of miracles. And he is the one that created the sea and the dry land. He's the one that made every single animal on this earth. He's a God of miracles. And if you struggle with the fact that Jonah could be swallowed by a well, then I promise you, you're really going to struggle with the fact that Christ could die and go to the tomb and three days later raise from the dead. Our God is a God of miracles. And so to understand all of these things, maybe we can't. But there is one thing that we have to understand. The men were obedient, the fish was obedient, Jonah was not. West Cabarrus Church family, may we not be outfaithed by fish. May we not be outfaithed by fish. God somehow said, go swallow up Jonah, and he says, I'll do it. May we not respond and say, nope, God, I don't want to do it, I'm going to run away. May we not be the Jonah of this story. May we look to the grace of God and find forgiveness of our sin. You have a choice today to repent or to rebel. This is what Jonah is all about. You've been running and God has been chasing you. God has brought that storm into your life right now that you would look to him and to trust in him. Now what's, what's amazing is that in Jonah 1, God brings a storm to wake up Jonah in order to rescue him. But we find in Matthew chapter 12, that Jesus says, you know what? There's a greater Jonah here now. He's speaking of himself. You see, where God sent a storm the first time, with Christ, he came into the storm to rescue us. This is his ultimate grace, that he would come to the darkest of moments in order to rescue and to save us. Jesus says that he is the better, the greater Jonah, and it's because where Jonah failed, Jesus fulfilled. I mean, Jonah's running away from the will of God, and Jesus is running to it. Jonah's experiencing a storm around it. Jesus literally speaks to a storm and stops it. Jesus is the God who comes into our story to rescue and to redeem us. This is the grace and love of God. He's still pursuing us. He's still seeking after us. Where Jonah cons- consistently failed, Jesus consistently moved forward to fulfill You see, God calls Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, and he turns the other way. But when you read the Gospels, it says that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem to go and to die. He knew what he was doing, and instead of running, he set his face running to you and to me to save us. So church family, know how you run and know how to repent, and you will find grace beneath the waves. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your graciousness to us. You sent a storm into Jonah's life and you sent a savior into our lives. Jesus, we thank you that the storms around us and the brokenness of this world, you came to still that storm. All the judgment and sin that, that that our sin and our judgment that we deserve, Lord, you became our substitute. Where Jonah was thrown into the sea, Lord, you were thrown onto the cross. God, you were thrown into that tomb, and three days later would rise in order for us to be forgiven. And so today, let me just ask you, and I genuinely want you to think about this and to pray about this. How do you run from God? 
And if you don't know Jesus because you've been running from him for so long, would you stop, turn around, and face him? Would you find the forgiveness and the peace and the hope that your soul is so thirsty for? Pray to him now. Jesus has already made the way. You've been running, he's been pursuing. He's not turned away by your sin. Instead, he wants you to turn so he can wipe away your sins. Pray to him now. And for us that know Jesus and love him, don't be like Jonah and knowing the Lord and still run from him. Know those sins in your life and repent of them. God is continuing to to make us more like him until eternity where all of our sins will be washed away forever. All the imperfections in our hearts and our lives that we still wrestle with now will be fixed and we'll be glorified. But until that day, we war with our sin. So today, repent of your sin. Ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and he will do it. Lord, you are a good and a gracious God. And we are so prone to run. Lord, thank you for how you pursue us in your love. And I ask that your great love would stir our hearts to worship you, to sing to you and to sing loudly to you because we need you, God. We want to confess that. We want to encourage others around us as we sing loudly to you. We want to be generous with our life and with our finances so that your kingdom and your ministry work can continue. God, we want to worship you that way. We want to worship you with our life. We want to be a living sacrifice this week and the things that we think about and the ways that we pray. And so, Lord, help us this week to be a living sacrifice for you to the glory of your great name, we pray. Amen. Let's stand now. Let's sing to the one who rescued us.